I, I define stress as how you respond when your needs are not met. So pick your needs, and when they're not being met, you're experiencing stress. So the four basic needs of the heart that I think we all are challenged by, because you know the heart is universal, um, attention, a little deeper than attention is affection, a little deeper than affection is appreciation, you know, or recognition, and a little deeper than that is acceptance. So attention, affection, appreciation, and acceptance. And probably, I don't know, 10 to 20 times over the course of the day, one of those in one of those categories, one of those needs is not being met. You are now listening to the Soul & Wonder podcast, episode 79, Less Stress, More Fulfillment with David G. Welcome to the Soul & Wonder podcast, where the conduits of the body, depths of the mind, and Atlas of the Soul are explored with devotion. Through cultural exchange, Christopher and Sarah and their guests will deliver sacred wisdom from around the globe, uncovering the hidden gems of conscious living and holistic healing, all to empower you on your journey of self-discovery. And now, here are your hosts, Christopher and Sarah. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of the Soul in Wonder podcast. We are your hosts, Christopher and Sarah, and we are so excited to have you here today with us. And whether you are a newbie or a longtime listener, we are so stoked to have you here for a very, very special episode with mind, body, health, and wellness expert, mindful performance trainer, meditation teacher, and author, David G. But before we dive into this awesome interview, we just want to encourage you to subscribe and listen. We are on multiple platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, via our website, wherever you are. We encourage you to subscribe to the show. And if you like the show, please leave us a review. It helps us to get our content out there and feature more special guests that could provide a wealth of knowledge on your journey of self-discovery. It really was such a pleasure interviewing David G. He has just such a calming, tranquil energy, yet he's playful and he brings things down to earth. He's not so in the clouds that you can't relate to him. And that's what we love about him the most. You might actually know David G. as the author of De-Stressifying, The Real World Guide to Personal Empowerment, Lasting Fulfillment, and Peace of Mind, and also Secrets of Meditation, A Practical Guide to Inner Peace and Personal Transformation. The revised edition was the winner of the Nautilus Book Award, and he is credited with creating the 21-day meditation process, which spawned hundreds of 21-day meditation experiences and challenges around the world, and often referred to as the Velvet voice of stillness. (laughs) He can be heard on more than 500 guided meditations available on iTunes, Amazon, Hay House, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora, SoundCloud, and on davidg.com. 
He is a certified Vedic master, and every month throughout the world, he hosts empowerment workshops, corporate trainings, life change immersions, transformational retreats, and teacher trainings. You can listen to David G. each week on Hay House Radio, where he hosts live from The Sweet Spot, a free global internet radio show with tens of thousands of listeners around the world. To join David G.'s free Sweet Spot community and receive tools, tips, techniques, and practices to take your life to the next level, visit davidg.com. And we dive into so many wonderful things with David G on this interview and specifically about his life path and how it unfolded into what it is today as a globally recognized mind, body, health, and wellness expert. The main causes of stress in today's world, unmet needs and how to take the power back and meet one's needs to alleviate stress, as well as the biggest indications that you might be living an unfulfilling life and practical tips to de-stress throughout the day. And of course, at the end, he leaves us with a beautiful and very, very calming live meditation to tune into the present and witness and accept it as it is at this very moment. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we enjoyed having it, and we will see you at the end. All right, everybody, we've got David G. with us now. We've been looking forward to this all day. Um, I know Christopher especially has been following your work for quite some time. He is a more routine meditation practice. (laughs) And um, I must say there's something special about the way in which you approach meditation and bring it to the world. It feels like a boots on the ground approach. And so we really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to hang out with you guys. And uh, I'm honored that we've been meditating in the stillness and the silence from around the world uh, in, that, uh, in that unique place of oneness. Um, yeah, I think, I think um, you know, it's like speaking any language. And you guys have spent a lot of time traveling the world knowing that, you know, just raising your voice doesn't actually communicate uh, the thing that you're trying to. You actually need to to figure out what's the language of the person that I'm speaking to. And, um, you know, that was a, an interesting journey for me to learn that because I, I've worked with, you know, kooky yogis, meditators, mm-hmm. dolphin mermaid, devotees, angel card readers, past life regressionists, etc. Um, and um, I also spend time um, helping uh, Marines and cops and first responders and people in the corporate world. And, wow. uh, you know, some people say, well, isn't it inauthentic to change the way you speak to people? And my response is no, it's more authentic because we need mm. to figure out what's their language. What are they going to receive inside of themselves? Because uh, if I talk about um, something that's, uh, that's a little woo-woo or out there, then the person who's evidence-based uh, is going to roll their eyes and stop listening in two seconds. And by the same token, if I um, only talk about scientific research studies, then the person who really just wanted to learn um, how to um, sleep better at night uh, is going to get disconnected from that. So I think it's, uh, I've really tried to hone my craft and, and really spend a lot of time making sure that people 
in all walks of life can connect to these teachings. Yes. Yes. It's, it's truly like bridging the heaven and the earth within the individual together. It's, it creates a more cohesive experience in my opinion. Yeah. And, uh, and, and one of the things is that, you know, this, this timeless wisdom teaching that's perhaps 10,000 years old, if not more, um, really can be practiced in the real world under every circumstance, whether you're just sitting in traffic on the phone with someone in customer service and you're on permahold, uh, or if you're in an airport and someone's freaking out because uh, the flight's been delayed or something along those lines. And that's what I enjoy most is um, really sharing these teachings with people who otherwise wouldn't ever connect to them. And, Mm -hmm. And that's really how we transform the world. Absolutely. It's so important for everybody to be touched by this work. And um, again, like you said, meditation can be practiced by virtually anybody that is willing to take that journey. And so, you know, I've heard your story before through other shows and just reading your material, but I would love for you to kind of break down how your life path unfolded into really what it is today as a globally recognized mind, body, health and wellness expert. Um, Well, I, I, Thank you for asking. Uh, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there who were born in ashrams or they were born enlightened or they came to these teachings um, through some other type of um, deep childhood immersion. Uh, the closest I had to that was my mother used the Ouija board when we were kids. So um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say I came into this world with, with all this uh, wisdom um, already embedded inside me. I guess we all come into this world with that wisdom. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just a, an opportunity. When do we awaken it or when do we connect um, to it? So I, um, I started meditating in college. It was a Zen meditation class. Uh, it was actually an uh, Asian studies class, but we didn't know that it would ultimately turn into um, a Zen meditation. Our teacher was a Zen master. And so there were 12 of us. We sat in a circle on the floor and uh, he stood in the corner. Uh, We were instructed that when we had a thought, we should raise our hand. In his hand, he he held an an 18-inch bamboo stick known as a kesaku. And when we had a thought and raised our hand, he would come over and actually thwack us on the back with that stick. Oh my goodness. So I only lasted in that school of meditation a couple of weeks. You know, when you're lying to your Zen master, it's definitely time to move on. Um, And then over time, I I started dabbling in different types of um, teachings. I, I got into Vipassana and and uh, mindfulness, and candle gazing, and tantra, and mantra, and so many different types of techniques, uh, even chocolate tasting meditation, which is mm. remains one of my favorite. And um, as I got more deeply involved in those teachings, I really found uh, a balance in life. And that's probably the, the, the first thing that I ever realized was like, hey, this thing can just allow me to be just a little more sane, just mm-hmm. a little calmer, a little more patient, a uh, better communicator, uh, allow me to sleep better at night. Um, and then I started getting involved in the corporate world. I was involved in Wall Street. Um, ultimately, I became a mergers and acquisitions advisor 
And I realized as I got more deeply involved in the corporate world, I was sort of letting go of my meditation practice uh, until it was non-existent. I realized I had traded in my morning meditation for an early morning train ride to the World Trade Center. I had traded in my evening meditation for a nice tall glass of scotch. And like that, meditation was gone, gone in my life. Um, but I also noticed, hey, you know that uh, balance thing? That's, that's also uh, a little gone from my life. And I started realizing that um, I felt a little empty inside. I felt that uh, there was this lack of meaning, lack of purpose. I was just really showing up to work, you know, just showing up to make money for other people, really. Um, and I wasn't doing it for any level of deeper fulfillment. It was sort of like I had been programmed that that's what you're supposed to do, and then one day you'll die. And um, and then in the wake of uh, 9-11, you know, for that period of time, I was I was working on the 82nd floor of Tower 2. So I was, you know, uh, wow. you know, deeply involved with all the people in that place and, the, and that lifestyle. And a few months before 9-11, um, I moved out of the World Trade Center a little further up uh, uptown Manhattan. And in the wake of 9-11, I was walking past a row of cardboard boxes that people were living in. And uh, this hand reached out as I walked by and grabbed my pant leg. And this guy peered up at me. And we were like frozen in this moment. And he said, what's going to be on your tombstone? That's a fairly reflective moment. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I staggered away from that, sat down and really just started sobbing. Because like, really, I suddenly was like, what has my life really, really become? Uh, I was miserable. I was empty. I was in pain. I was purposeless. and. Um, I came home that night, you know, sharing this with my wife. And, you know, she said, you know, you've been pretty dis disconnected for a while here. Um, why don't you check out this guy, Deepak Chopra? He's doing a meditation retreat in Oxford, England. And uh, I was like, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. Uh, you know, pain can be a really powerful motivator, as, as both of you know. And, mm. um, and so I said, okay, I'll do that thing. I'd never heard of Deepak Chopra. I didn't didn't, you know, wasn't, it had been years since I was meditating. So I went to this meditation retreat and by the third day, suddenly uh, I realized that there was a, um, the blackness that had been in my heart for so many years started to dissipate. It was like a, a, a white linen cloth dipped in black India ink, you know, and then each day I was just like, draping it through a running stream and lightening it and lightening it and mm. lightening it. And, you know, really within just a few days of, uh, of connecting to the stillness and silence inside, I suddenly felt joy for the first time in so many years. And so then I headed off to India in search of the guru. That's, of course, what you must do after hanging out with Deepak for a week. <laughs> and, um, uh, I searched high and low for the guru, you know, searching for answers. And I was meditating and I was practicing yoga. And, you know, and I went up into the north to Dharamsala where His Holiness the Dalai Lama um, was making his residence. He wasn't there that day, but I was bathing in the Ganges and trying to like do all the routines and rituals, you know, to cleanse my soul and find the guru. And then I went all the way into the south of India. And months passed. And really, it was while I was laying in a cashew forest in Kerala, in south India, reading the Bhagavad Gita, I read chapter 2, verse 48, um, which is, uh, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, it's not a book that everybody reads, but, you know, uh, Emerson read it, Thoreau read it, 
Einstein read it um, every day, uh, you know, for deeper insights into life. And I read this, the beginning of this one verse, and uh, it's Yogasta Kuru Karmani. Essentially, um, Krishna says to Arjuna, the protagonist of the story, Yogasta Kuru Karmani, establish yourself in the present moment and then perform action. And I was like, boom, that was it. That was my aha moment. It was like a lightning bolt came into me and I suddenly realized this is the answer. If I can just allow myself to get still, then my next step will be more purposeful. My next step will be coming from that place of stillness and silence. So I'm so excited. I, I raced home. Uh, well, you don't race home from that. It took me about 40 hours in the park <laughs> to get to Mumbai and then another 25 hours to fly home. No, but after, that I was, was, after I was living home back home in New York for a couple of uh, weeks, you know, a friend of mine said, dude, you know, all you do is sit around and meditate. I was like, I know. Isn't it great? And they're like, no. Remember, you, you got to like do something with this. Why don't, you, why don't you teach other people to meditate? And I said to him, this is a true response. I said, come on, I'm, I'm from New York. I don't care about anyone else's meditation. And uh, <laughs> that was, he said, well, don't make it about that. If you really want to learn something deeply, learn to teach it. Mm. So I, you know, he said like, go out, go out and go reconnect with your boy Deepak. He's in California. There's a center there. So I went out there as part of this teacher training, and it was like an instant love connection with Deepak Chopra and his his partner, um, David Simon, Dr. David Simon, who was the medical director and really the creator of so many of those programs. And I started off being their COO, and that evolved into being the lead educator, and that evolved into being the dean of Chopra Center University. And my life totally shifted. I got the chance to teach hundreds of thousands of people around the world, immerse into these ancient wisdom traditions. Uh, every single day, I got to teach meditation for 10 years. Um, and it really embedded in me. Uh, I learned the deep science of it. I learned the practicality of it. Uh, I learned the woo-woo aspects of it too. And I realized, you know, everybody's got a different access point. Mm -hmm. And everything is about the messenger, the message, and timing. And if all three of those converge, then you have that aha moment. And if all, if just one of those isn't there at the time, then it never happens. And so um, uh, about 10 years ago, I, uh, I left uh, the Chopra Center and began my own journey so I could teach in hospitals and travel the world and really connect to people at their level. Um, got the chance to teach kids and, and teach in the military and work with Dutch special forces and the Guatemalan police and the Ecuadorian police and, you know, things like that really, really sparked something inside of me that, um, I created my own teacher training and, uh, that's sort of like, uh, the long, short version <laughs> of my journey. And here I am now. Yeah. Yeah. You have so many different catalyzing forces mm. in that multi-layered journey. And one thing that stood out to me was it sounds like your friend in that moment upon um, prompting you to teach meditation was almost like that guru you were looking for. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's so interesting that you say that because I also think that a homeless man with the crystalline blue eyes yes. grabbed my pant leg you know, like if that's not mm. God, if that's not the voice of the divine, you know, speaking through. So I think we all have many of these moments. We just have to um, uh, listen. Listening is really, mm. a, it's a skill set that not too many people practice these days. Um, but if we can listen, 
and then um, lean in, I think the magic happens. And I think you're right. You know, my friend, you know, was, you know, sort of couldn't figure it out. It was like, wait, you got this stuff and you're just going to sit around? Um, <laughs> yeah, come on, let's get busy. Let's, let's, let's make a difference here. And I think we all, I'm sure you have a, a bunch of them as well. And these can be not necessarily people who are, who are, you know, uh, petting you or, or, or pleased with, or hugging you in a particular moment. These can also be, you know, our, our petty tyrants in, in life or, our um, uh, you know, our, our traumatizers. You know, there's mm-hmm. so many powerful teachers out there. Um, you know, people who've done us harm, done us wrong. Um, people who've just like suddenly, you know, challenged in something in our heart. And that's what sparked inside of us, you know, especially when, when there is a provocateur, you know, or someone who's like pushing you down or, or has been violent to you or something like that. That's your opportunity. And I know you've had the same, you know, reflection where it's like, you know what? No, I'm going to reach down so deep inside me and, and I'm going to pull out or connect to my best essence. And that's how I'm going mm-hmm. to step into the world. Thank you, teacher. Thank you for pointing that out to me. I didn't need to be that painful, but I appreciate your <laughs> guidance. And and perhaps if it wasn't that painful, we wouldn't have listened. You know, we wouldn't have. Oh my god! Have shaken us to the core. So my, well said. And just, my greatest teachers almost killed me. And it's crazy I, for people to hear that and to for me to express gratitude for their that that co-creative experience. It's just mm-hmm. hearing you say that so eloquently. It was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, oftentimes it's, it's back in reflection that we mm-hmm. say, oh, wow. Um, you know, it's that ho'oponopono, you know, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you for, for um, I'm, I'm done with you now, but thank you for getting me to where I am. Exactly. Um, that, that's, that's really the power of that because we have to have gratitude for every single moment. We don't have the, uh, the, that special power to pluck that one thread out or that one brick in the foundation out and say, well, I wish that everything is perfect except this one thing. Let me exclude that. It actually needs to be, you know, all of that, uh, that synthesis uh, of of all the euphoria and all the agony um, Mm -hmm. that, that, that ultimately coalesces to bring you to those moments of clarity. Yes. And just viewing life from that perspective is so empowering in so many ways that we are not playing victim to our circumstances. Rather, we are the creator and that those people or things that happen to us are just mirrors to our own personal growth. And I mean, how incredibly transformational that is. And what a what a beautiful message. Even when it sucks. Even when it sucks. <laughs> even when it's, yeah, well, you have the worst days. Especially when it sucks. You know, yep. and, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't want to make light of even that concept of sucking because a lot of times we think, oh, you know, I went up to buy, you know, a, a, a chocolate brownie and, and they were out of them. That sucks. Um, you know, we're talking about like the, the dark nights of the soul. We're mm-hmm. talking about when you've been shaken to your core, um, where it would be so logical to, to embrace your victimhood, where it would be mm-hmm. so... Um, there wouldn't be any other choice even. Of course I'm a victim here. Um, but if we give the power to the victimizer, then we don't have the power to make the conscious choice that nourishes us. Because then I have to wait for the victimizer to stop victimizing, and then I'm forever you know, trapped in a prison. 
And so I think, you know, that's really one of the most important aspects of, you know, just the whole concept of, of, of victimhood. If I'm going to say, oh, this was taken away from me, or oh, look what happened to me, or oh, my life is horrible because of these circumstances, then we are living this um, object-referred life as opposed to a self-referred life. And then we have to wait for that other person to, you know, to ease up for us to then flourish. Mm-hmm. A perfect example would be, you know, I'm only happy if my sports team wins. So that means, but I have no control over if they, if the team is horrible or not. So every time they, you know, I was, I grew up in, in Queens, New York. I was a Met fan. I think they lost, you know, like, you know, I don't know, 14 years in a row. I was a Ranger fan. They lost for, for like 50 years in a row. Um, so if I'm only gaining happiness when they win and I have no control over that, I'm constantly just waiting and I have no power. But the moment I say, you know what, I'm going to be happy whether they win or lose, I'm going to be happy that I get to go to the games, that I, that I get to participate in the process. And then I take the power away from whomever I had previously given it to, whether that's a victimizer, whether that's a traumatizer, whether that's a predator, you know, whether that's uh, you know, a, an attacker, or whether that's just some narcissist I'm living with. Once mm-hmm. I take that power away from the petty tyrant and embedded in myself and pledge that I will never be the petty tyrant, that's when the shift happens. Mm. Yes. Very, very well said. And, you know, I like that you pointed out that that victimhood um, comes in varying degrees, you know, whether it's being affected by your sports team losing or even almost losing your life or getting cut off in traffic. Like there's so many different levels and degrees of that victimhood. And it's clearly one of the main causes of stress in today's world. And you, you know, judging by your story, you went into that space where you were feeling unfulfilled. You were probably feeling stressed pretty consistently. There was no balance, like you mentioned, before you went on your adventure. And so what do you believe are the main causes of the typical day-to-day stresses that people might be experiencing, especially in our developed worlds? Yeah. Well, you know, I think developed and undeveloped, you know, my definition is cross-cultural. And Mm. that is... um, I, I define stress as how you respond when your needs are not met. So pick your needs, and when they're not being met, you're experiencing stress. So the four basic needs of the heart that I think we all are challenged by, because of, you know the heart is universal, um, attention, a little deeper than attention is affection, a little deeper than affection is appreciation you know, or recognition. And a little deeper than that is acceptance. So mm-hmm. attention, affection, appreciation, and acceptance. And probably, I don't know, 10 to 20 times over the course of the day, one of those in one of those categories, one of those needs is not being met. It could be as simple as, uh, let's, let's use attention, which seems to be, you know, why is that so profound? Well, you know, you're, you're at a four-way stop sign, but the person on the right of you um, you know, is not looking at you. You're not getting, quote, the attention. And so you're like, well, come on, come on, go through the intersection already. Don't look at me, you know, or look at me or pay attention, uh, you know, that type of situation. So we could look at that as in the most simplest of ways where we, we go to a, a lecture, someone's speaking, and that person's just not speaking. They're not looking at us. They haven't 
they haven't made that that eye contact, which we felt was so necessary. I paid twenty dollars to come to this lecture, and you haven't looked at me. Same thing if we're sitting at home and we're talking to a member of our family, and they're on their device, and we're like craving that eye contact, and so desperately, but they're on their device, and we're not feeling heard. You know, we're not getting that attention. Are you even listening to me? Type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we think about that. We all need affection. You know, and that doesn't have to be, you know, uh, making love to someone or even romance. Um, how about someone smiles as you pass them on the street? How about uh, mm-hmm. someone says something and gives you a little wink or, or a nod? Uh, how about someone does um, hug you upon seeing you or pats you on the back uh, for a job well done? A little deeper than that is that, you know, appreciation. We all want that. There have been studies that say that people would rather get uh, recognition at work uh, than a pay raise. If they could just be acknowledged for the contribution that they're making um, publicly, you know, at a meeting, at at a you know, any type of presentation, just a, just a prop, you know, someone throwing some props at them. Um, that's so fulfilling and we're all starving for that. We're not getting that on a daily basis. And then the fourth one is acceptance. We all want to belong to something, right? We all want to feel like we're a member of a political party, of a religion, of a nationality, of a neighborhood, of a sports team, of a, we all want to be part of like, oh, you love this group, I love that group. Oh, you love that TV show, I love that TV show too. You know, with this, this acceptance, it's a validation of our existence. So imagine how many times throughout the course of the day um, that we're not getting these needs met, attention, affection, appreciation, and acceptance. And quite honestly, it's what we do with that that becomes the fabric of our life. You know, mm-hmm. if you someone cuts you off because you weren't getting, quote, the attention, clearly not the love, the affection, you know, and you like curse that person and like start to accelerate and drive after them so you can, quote, teach them a lesson, um, <laughs> you know, that's how... That's clearly not getting activated. And we know that when someone cuts you off and then suddenly realizes like, oh, I didn't see you, and they wave in the rear view mirror sort of apologetically, you're like, oh, okay, I can give that person a pass because they were willing to just own their their action. So if, if, if 10 to 20 times a day, we're not having our needs met, imagine you know, how that can build up. And of course, if you're living in a house with someone who's never paying attention to you, if you're at work and you're never getting recognition, if you feel like you're so separate and distinct because you're in this rat race and you're running on a wheel and you just feel like you're like one of a million people, just, you know, a cog in that entire mechanism. Um, if you're never really feeling a part of anything, accepted um, by anything, we even want to be accepted. We want to be, you know, we want to be invited to a party by someone we don't even like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we just want to get the invitation. You just, even if we're going to throw it on the ground and stamp on it and say, I would never come to <laughs> you, you know, but we want that to someone to know that like we even exist. So imagine, you know, the level of chronic stress that we are, you know, going through and, ex- and experiencing on a consistent basis, um, by not having our needs met. And, you know, you look mm. at people in law enforcement, highest suicide, suicide rate of any profession, you know, um, their needs are not getting met substantially on a consistent basis. That's why I work with a lot of cops and I work with this organization called Blue Courage to help restore the nobility of policing. You know, we look at various, you know, 
various roles that we have in our family or relationships that we have. Um, and just as we walk through the world and you could suddenly realize some people are just like living in non-stop stress, which we now know scientifically is taking its toll on your physical body. It's taking its toll on your immune system. It's taking its toll on your, uh, you know, your, your physiology, uh, the inflammation in your brain, uh, your sense of over, overwhelm and anxiety, your sleep patterns, your blood pressure. Um, it's even been proven, you know, being in that fight flight mode, been proven to make your blood even more coagulated more sticky, the platelets that run through your plasma, you know, because they're always in like, let me save this being here, always in self-preservation mm-hmm. mode, um, lead to, to higher levels of, of heart disease and cardiac problems. We, we know that um, people just living their lives in just certain levels of, of stress, uh, when that stress uh, comes into you, certain hormones and chemicals like glucagon, which is like pure sugar, surge into you. And then you wonder, you know, my immune system's being suppressed. How come I'm having this immuno issue? Um, my my blood's getting made thicker. How come I'm having this cardiac issues? Sugar's being surged into me. Why am I having, you know, all these sugar-related um, issues? And those are just like three obvious physical ones. Imagine all the you know, the emotional byproducts of always feeling you know, that you're not being heard, feeling that you've got to bite your tongue or, or, or dim your light, thinking that um, you're not good enough, hearing that voice in your head, you know, telling you that you're stupid. You can go on and on with, with all these things. And what does that lead to? It leads to a, a less patient person, a high anxiety person, a person who's not being self-kind, self-compassionate, self-forgiving. And so how can you possibly express those emotions back out into the world if you're not even delivering them to yourself? And yes, meditation is an antidote to stress. And guess what? Uh, it's free. And, <laughs> and it has not passed or unpassed the, the Food and Drug Administration and no pharmaceutical company has passed judgment on it other than probably negative judgment. And you can do it at any time, anywhere, under any circumstances. And that's pretty beautiful. Well, and the beautiful thing about the adding that meditation practice to the de-stressing of our day is it increases our awareness of those needs that are unmet, like you had mentioned. And when we increase our awareness of those unmet needs, we give ourselves the opportunity to take action, positive action to meet those needs ourselves if we cannot rely on someone else Um um, and also provides an opportunity for us to communicate with those in our lives that we love that can help us perhaps meet some of these needs. And so it really gives you that power back. That's so brilliant because that's what it's about. You know, you figure we spent our first nine months in the womb and all of our needs were met. Every single possible need of, of nourishment, of comfort, of of fuel and food and personal development and warmth and like all that stuff. And then suddenly, you know, there was that day where (laughs) we suddenly, you know, launched into this world and then instantly we we became so dependent on people, you know, feeding us and holding us and pooping us and getting a Mm -hmm. diaper and cleaning us and keeping us warm and creating a soothing environment. And then suddenly at a certain point, they were like, all right, kiddo, you're sort of kind of on your own here. 
<laughs> and, and we've been struggling ever since that moment. And uh, every once in a while, we have that, you know, that self-reflection, like, how come this isn't being taken care of by somebody else? How come I'm mm-hmm. suffering so, so much out there in the world? And, you know, we have to realize as autonomous beings, um, we have the power all within ourselves. We don't need a soulmate to complete us. Having a soulmate spectacular. It's amazing. It's so great. But if you're not, if you haven't fallen in love with yourself, you're never going to find your soulmate. And I think mm. that's, you know, I think um, yeah. in, in you guys refer to each other as like your rock and your muse, you know, and both of yeah. those things imply that you've already owned your impact. And then you're looking for someone to help you accelerate that velocity, you know? And it wasn't until you chose to complete yourselves that you didn't tractor beam each other into your lives, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's so important. Um, it's so important to be surrounded by people who love and support you. It's so important to, and that doesn't mean you, you know, you only surround your people who, self with people who agree with you, because I think it's really healthy to have differing perspectives and differing viewpoints. But you need to be surrounded by people who are rooting for you, because if, if it's hard to root for ourselves all the time, that self compassion thing, it's so easy for us to walk by a homeless person and pull out a dollar bill and give it to them and, and, and then say to ourselves, you know, I'm pretty generous. I'm pretty, I'm pretty compassionate. And it's like, really? But you've been beating yourself up all day long over a decision you made 10 years ago, you know, mm. like, and you're not, so you're not self compassionate. And so if you're acting compassionate or you're acting kind to others, but you're not kind to yourself or compassionate to yourself, then it's all an act and it's going to break down and you're ultimately going to be miserable about that. And Mm -hmm. so I think that, you know, one of the most important things that we can do is, you know, we need to think globally, but we need to act locally. And that starts with your own heart. And meditation is that practice. We're cultivating our ability to witness and accept. We're cultivating our ability to listen. We're cultivating our ability to allow. We're cultivating our ability to to be self-kind, self-compassionate, self-forgiving, self-loving. And then it's easier to flow that out into the world. So many beautiful points there that I would love to dive into rabbit holes on that you touched on. And there are so many things that you said in regards, well, first talking about, you know, being in the womb. And that's so real to us right now as Sarah is about a week or two away from giving birth to our son. And (laughs) (laughs) it is, it is like, Many, well, by the time this episode's released, he'll that's probably true. Be, he'll be already uh, out of the womb. A few months old. <laughs> oh, well, congratulations. Let me formally be the first Thank to congratulate you. you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Don't you love the podcasting thing? It really works out that way as far as time is concerned. <laughs> that's great. But, you know, just the point of that, that warmth, that security, that safety, and now having the opportunity to be conscious parents and to be able to... Um, when this 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 baby is born to be able to nurture his own unfoldment authentic unfoldment and then using tools such as meditation to hold that uh true divine nature that he truly is and and th- allow him to fall allow him to get angry mm. allow him to experience frustration and sadness and unmet needs in a way that doesn't shame it and banish it to the shadow but instead creates that 
awareness where he can meet his needs and help us help him meet his needs. And right. It's well, just- this, is, this is so important. Thank you for bringing this up because again, you know, our needs are not getting met. All right. Mm-hmm. We know this attention, affection, appreciation, and acceptance. We know this. Okay. So it's not that your needs not being met needs to be altered. What you need to recognize is that, oh, my need for attention isn't being met. Isn't it funny? I was working so hard to get that person's eye contact. And the point is, guess what? They're probably busy talking about something else or they're staring off into something else and it's not all about me. And Mm -hmm. so it always comes back to, you know, Stress isn't created by your needs not being met. It's what you do with that that determines the fabric of your life. And that is so, so critical. And it's so beautiful that, yes, we all need to fall down because how else will you ever know how to get up? And, yes. that's, what, and that's what resilience is. Resilience doesn't, doesn't mean you're bulletproof. doesn't mean you're Kevlar. Resilience means you get back up. And these timeless ancient wisdom traditions teach you to like, you can have light without darkness. You Mm -hmm. can't getting up without starting, you know, you know, I think Wayne Dyer said something like, you know, you know, even when you're laying in the gutter, you can look up and still see the stars, you know, Mm -hmm. know, we, there can't be the opposing force without acknowledging that these are all the aspects of our wholeness. And so, you know, there's, if we just lived in a world and everyone, we all say this, oh, can't imagine just a world where everyone like loved each other. Well, <laughs> then there'd be a competitive, well, wait, I was loving you a little bit more than you were loving me or I, you, you didn't respond to my love. You know, <laughs> there's always going to be <laughs> some type of conflict and it's out of conflict comes creativity. It's out mm-hmm. of, you know, that. So there always needs to be these opposing forces. And guess what? Life can be brutal and life can be euphoric. And as long as we can keep just expanding our arms really, really wide to embrace it all, then we truly understand it. There's this ancient belief that embracing polar opposites is truly the definition of enlightenment. When you can mm-hmm. see the terrorist and the freedom fighter simultaneously, you know, when you can see that darkness and light simultaneously, it's not just seeing the light and it's not just seeing thinking you're good. It's, you know, how far can you stretch your arms to include all humanity and all of our emotional spectrum and all of the things that are inside of us? And these teachings help us. I mean, that's what we're doing when we meditate. We are cultivating our ability to witness. Mm-hmm. Be the observer. And like, what, what, what would schoolroom earth be without that polarity, without that light and darkness for us? I mean, as source in source we are experiencing that unconditional love and and our true divine nature but in this system of polarity or this like i say illusion of separation separation, it is such a wonderful grand lesson when you can be that observer and take a step back and see it from a thirty thousand feet foot point of view (laughs) and it's not always easy at times. Sometimes you get wrapped up in it. But what's interesting is when you can embrace the paradox, there's this stillness that naturally comes from seeing 
the the opposite ends of the spectrum and accepting both ends. And it's it's that stillness that comes from not being able to use your words to explain it in that moment. It's this just utter acceptance of what is. And I'm getting chills thinking about that sensation because it's like a gemstone that you can uncover as you just like roll it around and polish it and suddenly it's there and you feel it and it's euphoric and you can't explain it, but you see it from this perspective that you didn't perhaps see before. And to me, that's what life is. That's what life is about. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and, and that is the present moment. Because mm-hmm. in the present moment, there's no past. There's no fear. There's no anger. There's no future. There's no expectation. There's no projection. There's no fantasy. In the present moment, everything is pure and whole and perfect and enlightened. And of course, then the next second comes, you know, and the wind blows, and then when we're in the next space. So when we can connect to that space of, of purity, when we connect to that space of wholeness, Really what we're doing is we're returning to the memory of our wholeness. And we can go pre-womb on that one. We, you know, Mm -hmm. the memory of our wholeness, you know, existed in that, in that, in that moment where we were merged with the divine. And that's really what we're, we're doing. We're on this magnificent journey where we are moving so separately, so distinctly, so individually. And having these memories of that oneness, that, that beauty. And I believe that's where we make it practical. It's not a one-way trip. When we meditate, when we practice a present moment practice, when we practice a stillness and silence practice, we suddenly connect to that. And then we take back into our real functioning world, a thimble full of stillness, a tweezer full of silence, uh, an eyedropper full of that wholeness. And that's heaven on earth. Because here we are. You know, we're, we're not floating in the heavens right now. We're here on earth. And, you know, guess what? You know, I've been told that you're um, worrying over your child being happy will end um, in about 100 years. So you guys have like a nice, <laughs> nice, nice journey on that one. Um, you know, my dad's 92, you know, and he like called me up like wow. two days ago and he was like, I just wanted to check in with you. Is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, everything's okay. He's like, good, good. Just like I, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night. I just, I was wondering, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, everything's great. I love you. He was like, okay, take care. Bye. And so... I can tell you guys, you know, not to worry. I think it's about 100 years. Um, I know it's at least 92. Um, so, right. <laughs> so that will all drift away. But I think, you know, we have to recognize there are many practices that we can do that will connect us to the present moment. Um, one of them is being in, spending time in nature. Another one of them is having a formal meditation practice. Uh, another one of them is um, hugging. Uh, you know, showing affection and and sharing affection with people that we that we love and that we care about. Um, another one uh, that was given to me by Dr. David Simon. I refer to it as the three gifts because it helps when someone says this to you, and that's you're beautiful, you're doing a great job, and I love you. 
And those three mm. things we're not hearing enough of ever by anyone. Obviously, you can't say those to your employees because things are a little dicey these days <laughs> about sharing, sharing those types of words on people that work for you. But the reality is you can record that into your phone. You're beautiful. You're doing a great job and I love you. And you can just play it back. Play it loud when you're in the elevator. People will be looking around. You could play it in the mirror. Um, and you could say it to people that you do have you know, deep feelings for because we're not hearing it enough. We're, we're certainly, no one's telling us we're beautiful on a consistent basis. We always have to ask how do I look? Um, you know, rarely are people telling us we're doing a great job. They're often telling us about where we screwed up. Um, and you know, other than, uh, we don't even say I love you anymore. It's love you. Um, because you know, we can't even get that I out of us, you know, cause it's a little too, too intimate. So I think, you know, just those three gifts can really make a powerful difference and they help meet those needs of the heart of, or at least make you feel like, hey, you know what? I am getting some attention here. I am getting some affection. I am getting some appreciation and I feel accepted. So those mm-hmm. are, you know, that's like an easy, easy way to go. And, you know, we need that from our parents. We, you know, we, no one's ever gotten it enough. You know, they could say, oh no, my parents were really great. But, you know, um, sometimes it's just like formulaic. So we really want to get, you know, um, we, we want to know that those needs are out there looking to be met on a consistent basis and as, you know, conscious parenting, as way, as, as nourishing, um, those in our life, you know, your parents, your kids, you know, they're like sponges. They're recording every single thing you say and do. They've got like built in video cameras, you know, they're like Robocop. It's all coming <laughs> in. And so they're going to make their life decisions based on what they see, what they observe, what they feel, not just how they're treated, but how you act when you have challenges, you know, how you present the world mm-hmm. to them. And so um, you've got like, you know, great, great, you know, responsibility, but with that responsibility comes like the deepest satisfaction that you could ever have. Mm. So well said. And very much taken to heart and through that entire, um, I guess, I don't know what I want to call it, that little uh, speech or whatever you just gave there. Sarah and I were both looking at each other just and really soaking up every single word. And, you know, we've been talking about meditation. We've been talking about ways to de-stress and move deeper into our heart and more into the present moment. So, um, if you're able to, we would love for you to do a short meditation. And for our listeners that haven't experienced uh, your meditations or frankly, any meditation, you know, what a wonderful and beautiful place to start. Um, and yeah. Just don't we, do it while you're driving. Just don't do it while you're driving. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. There's a different kind of meditation when you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, you know, I do uh, every Thursday. Um, I have a, a, a radio show on Hay House Radio and a woman called up a couple of weeks ago and said she was listening to, you know, and, and I always kick off the show with a little meditation and <clears throat> she was driving in Virginia and she started driving slower and slower and slower <laughs> and then she plowed into the back of a police cruiser. <laughs> oh, oh <no>. my God. <laughs> and, the, and, the, uh, and the cop was a woman and she came around to the passenger side um, and told her to roll down the window and said, what were you thinking? And she was like, 
oh, I'm so sorry. I, I was meditating. And then she said, it's David G. And like the cop leaned her head <laughs> in the window and I was still saying, and now take a deep breath in. And she was like, right, <laughs> turn that off. Start paying attention. I'll let you go this time. So yes, that's oh, good advice. Don't close your eyes while you meditate and pull over to the side of the road if you're, gonna, if you're looking for that's this. That's hilarious. That's great. <laughs> um, I'm glad she was okay though and got off, got off without... Um, a ticket. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately she had been like, she was driving like three miles an hour and just like, that wasn't so great either, but it turned out, you know, she got stopped ultimately. Um, yeah, I'd love to, that would be great to do that. And I'd like to share with you sort of like my, my little ritual that I use in every meditation. Um, and that way, if you've never meditated before, or if you have a practice, uh, maybe you can incorporate some of this stuff. So remember comfort is queen. Um, always, always move towards comfort before, during, and after the meditation. If you're comfortable, you'll come back. And if you're not comfortable, you're going to say, I don't want to comfort my body in some weird position. So always find, you know, always seek comfort. And um, assuming you're not driving, um, let's uh, all take a long, slow, deep breath in together. And gently let that go. We could even sigh as we exhale. Let's do that one more time. Allow your eyelids to gently float closed. Long, slow, deep breath in and let's sigh as we exhale. <sighs> and keep watching your breath. Just keep witnessing as you're breathing in, as you're breathing out. And let's begin by asking ourselves a few questions. First, let's ask, what am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? And of course, you may drift away to thoughts or sounds or physical sensations. As soon as you realize you've totally left this question, ever so gently come back to it. And it's a gentle drifting. What am I grateful for? And sometimes there'll be no answers. Sometimes you'll get some really powerful and profound answers. But just keep asking that over and over and over. What am I grateful for? And next, let's ask, what does my heart truly long for? What does my heart truly long for. And you want to even place your fingertips on your heart to tease out an answer. What does my heart truly long for? And now invite an intention into your awareness. Just one thing you'd like to see unfold in your life. An intention can be a state, a state of mind, a state of being, a quality, a characteristic, a trait that you'd like a little bit more of in your life or a little less of in your life. An intention can also be a, a step, some action that you can take to bring you just a little bit closer 
to the fulfillment of your dreams and desires? A state or a step? Invite that intention into your awareness. And once that's crystallized, now invite it into your heart, your sweet, tender heart. And plant it like a seed in that fertile soil of your heart. Plant it deep. Let it take hold. Let it take root. Allow it to become you. Allow it to merge they say it takes about a minute for the blood in your heart to leave your heart fill with oxygen and then flow through every aspect of your being and right about now it's about halfway done that intention has bathed your brain has washed over your organs. That intention is rippling through every fiber of your being, every cell in your body. Just about now, it's coming down the home stretch, heading back into your heart. It's penetrated every single aspect of your existence. And now raise your chest up. Take a long, slow, deep breath in. Let the universe gently kiss your soul. Bless that intention and let it go. We'll leave it up to the universe to answer. We'll leave it up to spirit to sort out all those details. And let's take it a little deeper. We'll do a gentle body scan, scientifically proven, to shift the connections in your brain, to rewire your neurology, and to change your physiology. Start with your toes and just look at them and witness and accept. To the soles of your feet, witness and accept. Your heels, witness and accept. Your ankles, witness and accept. Your shins and your calves, witness and accept. Your knees, witness and accept. Your thighs, witness and accept. Your hips, witness and accept your pelvis witness and accept your belly witness and accept your tush witness and accept your lower back witness and accept 
your solar plexus, witness and accept your middle back, witness and accept your heart, witness and accept any grievances you have, witness and accept any anger that you have, witness and accept taking anything personally, witness and accept. Move to your upper back, witness and accept. To your shoulders, witness and accept. Your arms, your elbows, your wrists, your hands, your fingers, witness and accept. Your throat, witness and accept. Back of your neck, witness and accept. Your chin, witness and accept. Your jaw, witness and accept. Your lips, witness and accept. Your teeth, witness and accept. Your tongue, witness and accept. Your cheeks, witness and accept. Your nostrils, witness and accept. The bridge of your nose, witness and accept. Your eyelashes, witness and accept. Your eyelids, witness and accept. Your eyeballs, witness and accept. Your temples, witness and accept. Your ears, witness and accept. Your third eye, witness and accept. Your forehead, witness and accept. The back of your head, witness and accept. The crown of your head, witness and accept. And now scan from the tips of your toes to the crown of your head ever so gently and slowly. And any place that's constricted, any place that's suffering, any place that's in any type of pain, simply witness and accept. Witness and accept. Witness and accept. And just stay in the space of witnessing and accepting for a few moments here. And now take a long, slow, deep breath in. 
and gently let that go. Begin to wiggle your toes a little bit, wiggle your fingers a little bit, wiggle your belly button a little bit, wiggle your ears just a little bit. And when it feels comfortable, you can slowly open your eyes. Now it's been scientifically proven that that specific type of body scan, if it's done for 56 days consecutively, which is eight weeks, it's less than two months, you will actually begin to witness the world and accept it just a little bit more. Hmm. And imagine if you have like a, a bum knee or aching hips, or you've got some type of osteoarthritis, or you've got a heart that feels so much pain. Imagine if you showed that love instead of anger, right? Because we're always like, ah, oh, my hips, I hate them. My heart, I'm so angry. My, But instead, mm-hmm. if we witnessed and accepted and showed it love, scientifically proven to heal. So, mm-hmm. um, And people should never confuse being cured with being healed. Healing is the return to the memory of our wholeness. And we can all do that, no matter what's going on in our lives. Hmm. How beautiful. And and that 56 days, would you say specifically for that body scan meditation or really any meditation practice to really create that habit? Is that your your sweet spot of a number or what does that look well, like? We know that meditation in 56 days can change the physical structure of your brain. There are so many studies done at the University of Massachusetts, Mass General, Harvard Medical Center, Yale, University of San Francisco in California, University of Wisconsin in Madison. We know this. But that particular one that I just did, there just became a study on that, that shows that it allows you greater emotional expansion. So rather than saying when someone pushes your button, I'm going to count to 10 before I punch you in the nose, someone pushes your button and it just doesn't have the same impact. Mm -hmm. You've actually become more accepting of the planet. So I say, whatever the technique is, whatever works, you do that. But this particular one, and I would encourage (laughs) all of your listeners to listen to this podcast 56 times in a row and and their life will totally transform. (laughs) I can get behind that. (laughs) Yeah, I also actually created that meditation on Insight Timer um, that cuts all of our conversation out. But people, it's free. You can just go in there. It's called Deep Healing. And so it's 20 minutes. You can do that. 56 days, there's literally hundreds of thousands of people who are on that path. So hopefully that works. But any meditation. Insight Timer is the is the app? Insight Timer is the app, yeah. Yep, got it. Make sure that we had that for our listeners. Great. Yeah. Well, and that's, it was one of the most thorough body scans I've done. And it's a beautiful, the body scanning practice, especially entering this stage of birth that I'm about to go into of, mm. you know, surrendering and moving into the discomfort in a state of surrender and acceptance that it's moving through the motions as it needs to the body's perfect wisdom, instead of fighting it and shaming it you know, moving into that womb space and just allowing it to be a transcendental experience as you accept and surrender. So beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Obviously that applies to anyone experiencing anything in their body, not just birth. But for me, that's my personal. Yeah. But that's the whole beauty of this. Each of us has our own unique little 
constriction or tightness or newness and mm-hmm. how about falling in love with it instead of cursing it you know how beautiful exactly well david g it was a pleasure it really was wonderful to speak with you and i'm so glad that we were able to share this space together and you know i know you have a lot going on so i really want to want to encourage the listeners to check out all of your different meditations um, really love Awakening the Divine Self. It's one of my favorite albums, and I know you have many more out there. And really, at this point, we're you know closing out 2019 soon. And what type of updates do you have to share with our listeners, some things that you have going on that uh, you maybe want to update them with maybe into 2020 as well? Uh, well, thank you so much for inviting me to hang out with you guys. What a joy to, uh, you know, I'm a fan of Soul and Wonder and I, and to be on it and hanging out with you and, and your listeners is really a joy, especially at this most auspicious time when you are, you know, suddenly uh, in expansion mode, abundance and expansion. Um, yes. so, that's, so that's pretty, that's pretty special for me. Um, I invite, um, you know, I've got more than a thousand free guided meditations, uh, every place from Tidal to to Insight Timer to Unplug Meditation to Apple Music to um, to Amazon to DavidG.com. And so I invite people to meditate with me wherever they are. I want to encourage people that you can meditate anywhere. Uh, I also want to let you know you, no equipment necessary, and you can always just sit and watch your breath and connect to that stillness and silence. Um, I'm launching my my teacher training. We're now in our sixth year of of, of uh, masters of wisdom and meditation teachers out there. So if you want to take your practice to an even higher level, whether you plan to teach or not, but just to take your practice, just like I did, never thought I'd teach anyone, and that's all I do now. Um, so um, you know, I encourage people if you want to hang out with me. There's so many ways to do that online, in person, and um, let's just you know we transform the world by transforming ourselves. And if we can just keep trusting, um, trusting in ourselves, lean hard into the direction of our dreams, taking those steps and owning our impact, we will transform the world and manifest um, our dreams and desires. So um, thank you again for giving me the opportunity to hang out with you guys and share. What a wonderful soul David G is. And we are so happy that he was able to join us on this special interview and we are very much looking forward to 2020 and all of the great things that are going to be happening uh, that we have planned throughout next year and one of those being our new membership site we're going to host an array of digital courses that will help you in your personal development and spiritual growth so that you guys can dive deeper into yourselves and come out on the other side more fulfilled, happy, confident, and become the best you. So stay tuned for more of that, more podcast episodes that are going to be coming your way. We already have some guest books, so we are very excited for things to come. And we thank you again for everything that you've done to support us along our journey. And be sure if you are enjoying all of our podcast episodes, our videos, and all the other content we're putting out there, please be sure to share with your friends and family. It really helps us a lot. And We hope you enjoy the rest of your year and we will catch you on the flip side in 2020. Take care.